Welcome back, fellow jazz bums. Uh, today, we are super excited to have our second guest for our interview series, Zev Feldman. Zev, thank you for being here. Um, before we get into it, uh, just remember to like and subscribe. We also have a jazz bum Discord server. Please join that. Um, come hang out and chat with us. And then also on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern, we live stream on our channel. So feel free to come and hang out there as well. With that, I'm going to kick it over to Felipe to start us off. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, Zev, for, for joining us today, for agreeing to, to, to be on our, uh, on our channel. This is the, our second interview in the series, and we're very glad and delighted that, that you're, you're here, you're able to, to make it. So, Zev, uh, probably most of people in jazz, uh, into jazz or archival or anything related to music history and knows uh, some, something about him. He's been in the business for decades, more than 25 years. He's the producer, co-founder, president of Resonance Records. He's in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a label uh, very well regarded and known for uh, archival reissues, and we're going to talk about that a little later. Uh, he also is a consultant for Blue Note. He worked with Polygram, Universal, Rhino, Concord. Um, he won many critics polls, including Downbeat Magazine, Stereophile, even called him the Indiana Jones, and also He's now known as a jazz detective. And he made great, he he brought us great releases like Bill Evans, Wes Montgomery. Uh, he's been also working with Elemental Records, uh, Sunset, Real Gone, uh, Real to Real, Jazz Detective, which is, I think, was the most recent label, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll go over many. Um, uh, he also worked with the Monk, the Monk Palo Alto. Uh, with Impulse. Uh, he's from the DC area, uh, not far from where I used to live back there. Uh, a lot of things in common. And uh, uh, Zev, welcome to the channel. We're delighted and honored that you're able to, to make it and have some good conversation with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's really great to, to meet you guys here in person. And I just got to say, I, I love your all of your passion and enthusiasm and your you're just, uh, just it's it's wonderful, and I feel like we're all cut from the same cloth, and it's a a pleasure to be here with you today. I hope I don't break anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're really glad to have you. So I guess let's get into some some questions. Um, kind of the first thing was I'm wondering if you could give us some insight into your your personal journey into jazz. Um, like when did you first get into it? Have have your preferences evolved over time? And then are there any specific musicians who kind of played a crucial role, you know, moving you along the journey? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. I think like as far back as I can remember, jazz has been a part of my surroundings and my home growing up. My 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 dad and my mom are enormous jazz fans um, and they were always trying to expose me to all sorts of great music and jazz being one of those and also my mother also with classical music and there were some show tunes at home greek folk music anything you can imagine beatles but it was really my mom and my dad and especially my father and to give you a little bit of some background uh, jazz is a big part of my family lineage especially on my father's side of the family uh, my great-grandparents had seven children, and they even had a family band. And my great-uncle, my grandmother's brother, two of them were very known in certain circles um, in music. My great-uncle, uh, the late great Alvin Abe Aaron, who, by the way, is the first entry in the Leonard Feather Encyclopedia of Jazz, 
Uh, he played with Les Brown and the Band of Renown, Horace Height, Jack Teagarden, and um, and he toured the world with like Les Brown and, and Bob Hope on these USO tours, and there's actually film footage. He's a celebrated hero in my family. My other great uncle, um, Joe Aaron, was an educator in the Milwaukee public school systems and a professional reed player, a virtuoso, and someone who were these heroes in my family growing up, talking about these people. I, I got to know my Uncle Abe and even saw him. That was my first club experience, I was going to see him. But music is really close to our family. Again, not just them, but we have other you know, classically trained musicians in my family. And it's something of a high regard. And jazz seems to be this language, this culture, something that connects you and me, all of us. And it's been a part of my background. But, you know, talk about a musician or an experience or something that really brought me over. I'll tell you, I was, I was listening when I was a young person to a lot of uh, classic rock, but pop music. And I remember... The, the pop station was playing the Rolling Stones and the Who and and Motown and all sorts of stuff. It was a different time. But I remember my father always wanting to turn the dial to WDCU-FM here in Washington or WPFW. And it was always listening to jazz. I remember my father playing for me, Wes Montgomery, but also Nancy Wilson and Cannonball Adderley and trying to instill in me that there's all this other great music, Zeb. It's not all this, this pop music. And although that was fine and we liked that too, but uh, to flash forward a little bit, something that really connected with me, I was in my teens. I was probably somewhere around maybe 15 or 16. And mind you, at that point, I was listening to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Hendrix and The Who and Led Zeppelin um, cream clapped and all this stuff that was really in, you know, became very, um, central to me. And what it was though, I, I found myself really gravitating towards the improvisational element, listening to guitar solos, listening to the way those ideas were formed. And it really primed me and became a bridge into this music. And I remember being in my teens, maybe again, I say, maybe I was 15, I saw Miles Davis on TV. It may have been a Grammy performance. I can't remember exactly. It was sometime in the late 80s. And um, I just was really struck with this man's coolness, vibe, the music that he was playing, something different. And then I remember going to the record store, um, wanting to find some music for Miles. And um, I, I tell people this, you know, like when you're younger, you're growing, we're all evolving as people. But I remember someone saying, oh, Miles Davis, you're the rock guy. You got to listen to Bitches Brew. That's like jazz rock. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something now. I, and, and you know what? I come back to that album these days and regard it as just such a triumph in terms of this music and the improvisation and the players. Oh, my gosh. But at the time, it went right over my head. I, I couldn't. I was trying to gel with his many, many listens. And I come back to that album and I regard it as one of the great achievements um, in this music, along with a lot of other recordings. But I went back to the record store after Bitches Brew and I said, I'm going to keep digging a little further back. And I got Roundabout Midnight produced by the great George Avakian. And that was my intro to Miles and Coltrane and Red Garland and Paul Chambers and Philly Joe Jones 
Mm-hmm. And I still remember when I heard Alucha for the first time, the second track on the record, it was just something that like serotonin, so- something in my brain, there was some sort of chemical like it gave me. And I remember kind of like I've had these blackout experiences when listening before where the music and the feeling and emotion becomes so intense, so exciting. And it was just something that gave me the chills and made me excited and I kept digging further and I kept listening and I kept mm-hmm. trying to expand. So those were like very important um, musical, you know, experiences for me. Miles is like a lot of us. He was our gateway in before listening to Freddie Hubbard and Kenny Durham and Charles Tolliver and Woody Shaw. Like, you know, it, it started there and, and the journey is long. The road is long. It's so much about, self-discovery and at least it's been that way for me like trying to listen to as much music as i can so yeah, yeah. Awesome. that's fantastic um yeah miles was uh was also a gateway for me as well um and i think that that roundabout midnight that had that had the original quintet so that really is kind of a great entry point where you can go back to this prestige stuff or you can go forward um with the stuff with gil evans so that that is a wonderful uh record yeah. Um, so our next question here, uh, moving into some of your um, your labels, uh, you have a multiplicity of them, and they're from resonance to real to real to jazz detective, and I'm sure I'm missing some there. Um, we just wanted to know, uh, when you have a new project, how do you find the right fit for it? Um, and yeah, what, what's, the, what's the approach for when you find something new, where, you, where you're going to place it? Thanks, Mike. You know, I, it, it's it's a little complicated sometimes, and sometimes it's not complicated. But I'm going to break it down. You know, so much of what I'm what I'm looking for, what I'm doing when I find a recording. First of all, I need to be really ignited. I have to be so amped up. A big part of what I do is trying to find a home. If I have to be really energized and listen to something and feel inspired and be like, man. We have to bring this out, but it's often about the identity of a label. It's often about having opportunities, maybe people who want me to bring them projects. I'm very lucky, very, very lucky. And I want to say that because of the generosity of George Clabin, my co-president at Resonance Records, the founder of Resonance and the Rising Jazz Stars organization that brought me in, he's very selfless. And he has been like, you know, I'll bring projects in and he'll be like, you know, I'm not interested. Why don't you go take it to one of your other friends at one of the other record companies? You'd certainly do it. I just, you know, record labels can't do everything. You know, there's limited resources to go around and it takes, you know, it's a variety of factors, but it's about if I know, you know, like with Corey, for example, Corey Weeds at Real to Real. A lot of this music, so much of it, all of it, has been because we have connections with these artists, whether it's Sonny Stid and Shirley Scott or Walter Bishop Jr. We're kind of on these wavelengths of personal taste. So it's it's a culmination of the identity of the label or the label owner or the guy that's going to be investing in the project. And that's a big part of what it is, too. Um, and also, you know, I have labels that I'm, I'm bringing stuff to, um, but it's really about finding the fit. Do I want it to be, do I want it to come out? Do I want to be a producer? And by the way, there's a vetting process that we really have to take very seriously, very careful 
understand, you know, moves. Um, just we have to evaluate these things. We have to, you know, look at everything that goes into it. But it, it, it's been um, very exciting now because it's afforded me the opportunity of working with a, a wide array of different companies and individuals and a lot of generous people that have gotten behind my enthusiasm and have helped find a way of bringing these projects out. I just want to be able to give birth to them basically. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's Herculean sometimes in terms of the efforts and the lobbying and the determination and persuading people. Um, Cause there's only so much sometimes that we, these, these companies can do, but haven't I been lucky and thanks to George, he's mm -hmm. totally cool with me doing that. And, and um, it's, it's been an amazing road. I'm just speechless when I think about, how great of a situation I have. And I just really, I mean, I, I thank my lucky stars every day. I really do love what I'm doing. And I love having the support from the fans and guys like yourself who echo that passion. I feel like we're all in this together. It's a journey. It's also a fight sometimes and having to, you know, do things and, and, and you got to also make the numbers work because we live and die by, these numbers, which are enough to, you know, your mortgage, mortgage your house against and having a chance to really know going in eyes wide open that something is sustainable. Um, a lot of these projects are are not very big commercial sellers, but in a limited edition form, we can find a way of making the economics work. But more importantly, again, finding the way for the music to come out. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. That, that's pretty awesome, Zev. Um, so now just, I think, kind of connecting a little bit your journey to this point now of the re-releases. First, uh, one, one thing that you always mention is Wes Montgomery, and I think it was their first big project, right? It, it, it was. It really was. There were two. There was a Wes Montgomery and a Bill Evans release. Wes Montgomery, Echoes of Indiana Avenue, which I think we started working on 2010, 2011. And then Bill Evans live at Top of the Gate, which were George Clavin's personal tapes that he had made. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't cut you off. No, no. And, and second, um, so given on that trend, so when you decide on a project, let's you're locking. Let's say let's do a hypothetically like a Sonny Rollins thing. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how how it kind of works like um, when you how do you get the, the the tape or the recording or whatever it is find out who the players were, because sometimes it's hard to find uh, if they're playing on European tours on a bar or something, uh, photos, the line notes. I know you put a lot of effort in the liner notes in the booklets. That's sure. that's like half of the product, I think. So how <laughs> does that process kind of, yeah, works? Well, it's interesting, right? I think it starts with identifying and finding recording that we like and, and then being able to find, make sure, do we have what are the sources do we have something we can work with and of course working with the artist themselves or with their estate there are all these very turnkey sort of components to it it starts with having great music and we're also protecting so many of these artists legacies that these artists aren't around with us so we really need to be very respectful and responsible with the judgment um, it's never been about, oh man, it's, it's a rare tape. We just got to put it out. Is it good? Does it, does it serve the artist's legacy? Is there something new going on there? And to talk about Sonny Rollins, just for an example, and I have to say one of the greatest thrills of my entire career 
has been having the opportunity to work with this man on now two occasions on productions. And also I worked in sales and marketing for a while. We did an in-store performance together when his 9-11 without a song record came out on Milestone uh, 2005. And, but, and he's someone who I've been enamored with, it seems like for decades and decades. I mean, I had a chance to see him in concert and, and to meet him even when I was younger. And he's just an incredibly kind human being. And there's something about the human experience with this man, which I've learned a lot about being a, you know, there's a lot of lessons with this man. He's so wise and it goes far beyond music. And that has been really one of the gifts. And it doesn't always work out that way, but sometimes you get a chance to know these people a little bit more. And that's been a, been a thrill. Um, but, you know, working with Mr. Rollins was great. We, we did Rollins and Holland several years ago. And those tapes came to us from the Netherlands Jazz Arc. I know a producer over there, but found these tapes. He contacted me. It was like, there's a studio session. Stop the presses. What do you mean? That's like, by the way, we always have lots of different types of recordings. Um, live tapes are something that really capture the essence and the excitement in this music in, a, in an incredible medium, which is often so difficult mm -hmm. to uh, to compare to. But a studio record is almost a different kind of statement. And we've been involved in that with Sonny Rollins from Rollins and Holland. We also did this Bill Evans some other time, which you know about. Um, I was even involved with a Thelonious Monk record from 1959 called Les Liaisons Dangerous, which came out on Sam Records and Saga Music. There it is right there. This is a wonderful record. Thank you. You, you know, Francois Lexon and, and Fred Thomas were so instrumental and generous to contact me and brought me along the journey with them. And that's really been a, that's another career highlight. It's a studio record. It's a different kind yeah. of thing. But you find these recordings, you have to have, you have to really evaluate it. Is the music good or is it great? And does it serve a purpose in terms of enriching a, a chapter of an artist? In some cases, um, we, we also just happen to find amazing live recordings after live recordings, Bill Evans. And those are important too. Um, but anyways, you, you find a recording, you have to determine if it's good. You have to work with the families or with the artists themselves. And Mr. Rollins, when he heard the, the recordings from Holland, was very supportive of this endeavor. And it also gave us an opportunity of taking a recording that had been bootlegged uh, that we put along with it. And also we found a television performance, like in a TV studio, we had audio from that. So we were able to put that together. It's all about is... If the stars and moon going to align themselves and things work out, the energies of the universe have an interesting way of making these projects happen. Sometimes projects aren't meant to be for a variety of reasons. And you have to, it can be very an emotional roller coaster being involved in these efforts, but it's it's about it's about doing that. And it, it, it mean it's about doing it, it happens that way. And um, anyways, so I'm very excited. Mr. Rollins and Resonance Records are working together now on a release for later next year, which is going to be remarkable. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be a four LP box set. Oh, wow. And, wow. and it's going to be, a, it's a major <laughs> undertaking for us. And 
and Mr. Rollins has been in support of it, and I'm just over the moon. But I'm going to keep my lips tight for right yeah. now, but I'll tell you guys offline, but I want people to know that there's great stuff coming. The next 18 months alone are going to be an amazing journey for us and all of us. And I mean, we all share this together, and I hope everyone feels right. that way because I can't do what I'm doing unless you guys and the fans out there are supporting it. And we always try to do what we can and raise yeah. the I think it was another interview that you gave recently that you teased that there may be a Chet Baker in the in the queue. There is another Chet Baker project that I'm in the process of working on, which is going to be a never before released studio album. Oh. And that's going to be some another unissued studio album. Actually, we were trying to put that out sooner uh, along Blue Room, but we decided let that breathe on its own, which is another wonderful release. It's been, I've had the good fortune of working with the Chet Baker estate now on three projects, going back to Live in Paris, which came from these recordings that Radio France had in 1983, I believe 1982 as well. And um, and it, it's exciting. It's, um, it, it's really exciting. And by the way, speaking of Chet Baker, I, I brought an autographed, Jerry Mulligan record I was doing. I thought we were going to do show and tell. This oh, yeah. is an album. I think this is from his sign. Thanks, Chet Baker, 1956. Wow. And oh, wow. this is part of a very special collection. I have some other things that I brought, um, including uh, Les Brown. Anyways, I'll spare Yes, you. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get into them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, listen, just to comment on the booklets and the editorial, you know, I take that as a really serious opportunity and responsibility. You know, when I started doing these releases, going back to the West Montgomery and the Bill Evans releases, it was really about I had this mentality of trying to raise the bar in terms of editorial and doing something actually a little different. I'm inspired by Mosaic. I'm inspired, inspired by what Michael Lang and Richard Seidel were doing at Verb in the 90s with their prolific box sets, whether it was Best of the Songbooks from Ella or Duke and Ella, the Cote du Jour, Clifford, you know, Clifford Brown, Mercury Recordings, uh, the Mercury box set, all this great stuff, the jazz at the Philharmonic box set, all sorts of stuff where we have a story to tell. And But I wanted to really raise the bar. I wanted us to have a discussion and a narrative to be able to, to discuss with a writer, to interview musicians that were alive, maybe somebody who put on the concert, somebody that was there. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an artist who plays the same instrument that can give us some really thought provoking commentary. And I really try to go after that. Um, the, the photographs also were something that we spent a great deal of time doing research on trying to find images. And by the way, we, you know, there's, it's an enormous amount of work and expense. We license and pay for these images. They're all negotiated for. But I think it's really important because alongside with having wonderful design work, and, you know, I get a chance especially to work with Burton Yount uh, and John Sellards and Daryl Norson and some great uh, designers. But it's really about trying to get these elements to come together. When a record is sitting on the shelf in a store, I really try to have the front of the house looking really nice. I want to bring people in. I want them to be, what is that? I got to have that. There's something, I mean, we have had, I think I speak for all of us that we've had these experiences where the music, the artistry, the, the culture, the album cover design, these sort of things, it's a multitude of factors that hit on our, 
on our uh, on our nerves, if you will, like they connect with us in this way and they really bring you in more. I take the artwork as being such a, an important step. The music is always first and foremost, but the presentation to me is important. And I think that we can also recognize that there have been albums that have come out in years past that maybe we even passed on mm-hmm. because the didn't look good. You didn't know what was inside. So yeah. let's dress it up. Let's go for it. You know, I, I mean, and the other thing is George Clavin said to me many years ago, you know, Zeb, these records are going to live on past our lifetimes. Yeah. And when you think about that, I tell people it's like casting a tattoo. So we've got to do the best job that we can. Sometimes even a little, we 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 miss something in the booklet or things happen. And but we have a team of us. And by the way, I'm one dude that's here mm-hmm. with you guys. But I have Zach Shelby Cisco that works with me on so much much of this work, and my editor John Koenig and the the different other producers and label mates that you know I mentioned Corey before. I'm one guy, but it takes a team of us and really. I, to know what we're going for and what we want to do and what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that just, it, it's, it's very exciting. And and there's a lot to come that's going to be coming in the next year, year and a half two to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, I've really noticed like the last record store day, there was so much stuff compared to like previous record store days where there'd be one or two titles. And I gotta tell you, I love the whole thing about considering the artist's legacy that you talk about. Cause there's so much stuff out there that you can go. I mean, you know, it was released in the seventies or whenever and you buy it cause it's got an artist you like, and then it's just not great. You know, it's just kind of sad and you're like, okay, well, I wish I would have not spent that $10 on this record now, mm-hmm. but I've never experienced that with one of your records. So I, I wow. do appreciate the whole legacy thing. And, Thank you. and it's the excitement around all these products you guys are putting out is yeah. in our community is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I so appreciate that. I'll just say selfishly, I'm having the greatest time of my life, but also like stressing a little bit sometimes too because it's it it's it it it's very emotionally charged from the creation of these things to making sure that we get them to retail and making sure that our forecasts and you know this business side. I hate talking about the business, but it's important because if I make the label owners happy and the people that I have to work with, we can keep going. And I really like to say these words, let's keep going every time because it's, I don't know. I just, I, I feel that there's so much more music that needs to come out. I'm sitting on a mountain to, a mountain of incredible recordings, but you don't just have a tape. You got to do all this work that comes along with it. And uh, that's a part of it. I, I recently got the reissue of the uh, Eric Dolphy musical prophet. And oh, thank you. It's fantastic. And I think just speaking about the liner notes, I think liner notes doesn't give it enough justice because there's there's interviews, there are liner notes, there's there's a lot of engaging material, and I don't feel like it's a it's like overwhelming in the sense that I would have to sit down and read through it like you know over a day or two. But this is something that you can kind of um, jump around and it's engaging. Like you can like read the interview and then you can go back and look at the the photos and there's a lot of just uh, different types of materials in there. And I feel like it it makes for a more engaging experience. Um, not Nothing against just like reading through liner notes in a book, but I think I like that there's like a, a variety of, of perspectives um, from the musicians and other reviewers and things like that. So I just, I think that's a really fun piece. 
um, which which kind of plays into this archival aspect of it, where yes, it's about the music first, but let's contextualize it. Let's bring people exactly. in to discuss it. Um, let's make this more of an event um, and a celebration. And I feel like that, especially with this musical prophet, Eric Dolphy, I'm so happy this was reissued. Um, so thank, thank you for uh, for making that happen. Sure, no problem. I thank George Clavin. You know, it's funny. I, I think about George and what he said to me. Zeb, we are a museum. Like we are building these exhibits. And that is like an, a total example of the experience, right? Because we interviewed people. We went to the Library of Congress and went through Dolphy's personal effects that were that were there. And, you know, more than that, it's like it's investigative music journalism, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 that's a loaded thing because this is a really important part of the job. And I I I don't think I'm really worthy of that, but that's what I'm going for. I I want you and all the other fans out there to be able to lift this record or CD off the shelf years from now and still having enjoyable experiences with it. But mm -hmm. there's more than just putting the music out and shoving it out the door. Like, how great can we make this? And Anyways, George is like an example of such generosity. This man has um, afforded us as our team to go in. And, you know, we'll have instances. We're working on this West Montgomery release in the fall that's coming. And um, I had all this incredible editorial. Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, Marcus Miller, Mike Stern, Bill Frizzell. And I'm like, George. Can we go to 58 pages for the booklet, please, on the CD and then do the insert? By ironically, the LP inserts for materials are usually much cheaper. But when we do these things, we make the packages consistent in each configuration. But you need to be really mindful of what we're ordering, what we're selling. And you know what? It raises the bottom, it, you know, it affects the bottom line price. But George is like, go for it. I'm like, man, like, we're we're having an opportunity of going really in depth and providing some commentary from people that, you know, folks wouldn't normally maybe even expect to read from the word. I don't know. I want there to be an abundancy of information, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that's receptive with you guys because sometimes we wonder, does anybody even read the stuff? And I really don't care. I think we need to do it for the books for history's sake. I think it differentiates. I think it dif differentiates what you guys are doing from a lot of. I mean, it's archival, but I think the whole the whole package, it really is is different than what anyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about. We we like old stuff, and sometimes we want to read more about it. Oh, there's a book, but it's out of print. You know, things like this. So it's you gotta go second market and buy it. It's expensive. So. On that regard, Zev, um, just do you guys ever have you guys ever considered putting out a book together? We have actually. We it came up about hey, wouldn't it be interesting to do a collection of all the interviews that we've done with people over the years and publish that as something standalone? You know, I just think like maybe in the day to day, I get kind of caught up in other things that are little shiny things that are causing my attention to go here and go there. But it's something that I think we should go come back to. I think it's I think it's really important. And it, as you guys know, like interviews have been published by by a number of folks over the years and all sorts of different subjects. And I it's important for the art. I also like to say, hey, go pick up the album. <laughs> you can learn about it from there. But I, I don't know. 
we got to come back to that. I think it would be really nice to nice to do that. I will say that for the images, we'd have to relicense photographs because when we do deals for these releases, they pertain to the individual projects. But you know what? Um, I think it's worthwhile. I appreciate you bringing it up, Philippe. Thanks, man. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be amazing. You know, Philippe had a good point. Well, let me take this a different way real quick. So your legacy of your family and all the listening and learning you've done and all the work you've done for this music is amazing. The three of us, me and Mike specifically, have only been listening to jazz for a few years, right? Like we started with the pandemic, like a lot of people, and we've wow. stuck with it. And, I, you know, these these releases, I keep them all together on, my, on one shelf, right? Like all the stuff that you put out, I keep them all together. And I go back to them and they just keep giving new things, right? Like if I bought like this Bill Evans behind me, that came out last year, I think. But let's say I bought one two years ago and I listened to it at the time and I haven't listened to it since. I break it out again. I put it back on the turntable and I'm getting so much more from it now. Mm -hmm. just from my the experience of listening to other things it's just it's really special thank thanks for saying that well it's nice to know you know it's interesting bill Evans, right is I, I was speaking with someone about this yesterday he's really an interesting example of um cross-pollination in terms of different audiences and a lot of folks that discovered bill through these record store day releases is hey it's something collectible but look there's an example we really wanted to make something so classy, so elegant, so beautiful. Yeah. And using that imagery and and look what happened. Like we now, like we've been able to affect other people. We're making them fans along the way and bringing them over. That's that's something truly exciting. And I've spoken with Evan, Bill Evans' son, Evan Evans, about how you know over the last twenty years, especially last fifteen, there's been something that's really been accomplished in terms of raising the awareness of the legacy of this artist we we play a small part in it but it's from that sort of testimonial i'm reaching over it's beautiful and then you know and now you're infected in a in a fan <laughs> but in a in a great way it's you know it's 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 listening and it's sharing and it's experiencing and there's always so much music that we can hear in one lifetime too. It's like I'm I'm trying to listen to as much stuff, but I'm I'm really honored. I mean, it's 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 really great to know that for you guys and other folks out there, maybe maybe this is the way that it kind of came around. You know, it's great for sure. So let's talk about the tapes because those seem like to be a very important part of this whole thing, right? Sure. Um, how have you located tapes over time? Does it vary, and has it has it changed? Like you know since you started to now has how has that kind of worked well it's interesting i think things have gotten a little bit easier as the years have gone by as you create a track record and build a reputation for the work that you're doing which is a blessing but um but um you know it's interesting i remember how started like this you know this must have been sometime around 2009 2010 and you know I've always been like this big music nerd and into the facts and the history and the folklore. And here's when this was recorded and here's who the side men were on this recording. And George Clavin said to me at resonance one day, he said, I'm so surprised. So you've never produced an album before. I said, no, I was sales and marketing guy and distribution on the label side. It was different. Everyone stays in their lane. Okay you don't get a chance to work in the other departments, especially at a larger company. And this is just the way of the world, like it is. Maybe some other people have been lucky 
was in my experience. So I'm at Resonance and George and I were really connecting and really discovered how passionate both of us were. And he extended the olive branch into some amazing kindness into my life, which changed things. And he said to me one day, Zeb, I'm surprised that you haven't produced. Let me make an, uh, a, a proposal to you. I don't want to put out reissues, but if you can go out and you can find music that's never been released before, and I like the music, guess what? I'll let you produce it for me. Well, and I tell people this was fire on gasoline. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, every waking minute was like, who else can I call? I started pestering Michael Cascuna for the longest time, who, by the way, has a relationship with George Clayton going back to the 1960s when George was spinning records and programming WKCR in New York. And uh, Michael would call and win the radio contests and win tickets and albums. That, wow. They've known each other. So, and, you know, like your boss will tell you sometimes, maybe in this case, you're an extension of your boss. So I started calling Michael and he was very gracious and would give me leads with people. And then he called us about this West Montgomery project one day for Echoes of Indiana Avenue, what became that. But, um, you know, look. I'm calling people, I'm calling archives. And, and, you know, it was a lot of tenacity because this is what I wanted to be doing, reaching out to families, you know, getting it, you know, George had these Bill Evans tapes from top of the gate that he had made in, 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 uh, 68, uh, with Eddie Gomez and Marty Morell that had never been leaked. And that, that came from his archive. So I had that, but we put out the West Montgomery Bill Evans, and it was like putting on a new wing of our building in terms of validating this work that we we had been doing. And those first two projects, the critical acclaim gave George the confidence for us to keep going. And, you know, we're not just interested in putting out um, archival. George has a new Yvonne Lynn's record. He has championed a lot of living artists. And our label has also become a home for that. But he has a special connection and recognizes that this work that we're doing on the archival side reaches a lot of people and it actually can can sell sometimes and and not be a money loser i mean it's really difficult when you're running a company there's overhead other stuff and resonance is a division of a 501c3 that george created this is all generosity um you know and he's he's allowed us to keep going with our small family uh, to make these records but, but but let me let me tell you though it comes in different ways like it's from me finding stuff for instance got plugged in with the french government with the folks at ina and paris who oversee the legendary ortf and radio france archives that's where larry young came from grant green funk in france west montgomery in paris albert eiler at the mate foundation you know, and it's that kind of relationships that you also build where they allow you to go in to their archives. And, you know, it's 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 a lot of searches that are done. Christiane Lemaire at Ina has become a dear friend. She is a saint. She is someone that has believed and supported me. And we have done countless jobs. You know, I feel like it's excavation going into and find their vaults and finding tapes and so is 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 Ina connected to the French radio? Is that is that the same entity? Yes, and it's actually a part of the French government. And Ina yeah. basically 
oversees the radio and television archives where they are cataloged and stored in actually a, a variety of different facilities. The, the Europeans, as we all know, and especially the French, man, they did an amazing job documenting this music. And we did it here in the States too. Don't, you know, I'm not trying to, but there's something about the history. We have found these things. That album behind you, Larry Young in Paris, yeah. maybe one of the most riveting journeys that I've been on. Why? Because Larry Young to me hits me in my heart. He's somebody that inspired me. And then you see a list of different, I, I did a list. Do you have any Larry Young? And then I see all this stuff that comes up. What is that? <laughs> I want to hear. But it's driven by, It's a lot of this is driven by passion. So much of it is. And and again, having to convince George. And, and then it was amazing. We found all these photographs from Frank, Francis Wolf that had never been published before that Michael Cascuna had at the time. So, you know, it's just, it's really cool, man. Um, but anyways, you know, I, we get phone calls from people and emails of people that reach out. Hey, I found something. Or, hey, would you ever be an interest in doing a release from this artist? I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but not everything gets to come out. We can be a kid in the candy store, but not all that candy is meant to be eaten. And mm -hmm. some of it needs to be left behind sometimes, too. We have to really make those important decisions and uh, at least i do and i think though unfortunately there's some there's some record labels out there will love to just jam stuff out just based on who the artists are and not even paying them you see my name on a package you know the families have been contacted and negotiated with we would never do anything against their will it all starts and stops with them yeah so, so what you, oh, i was just gonna say once you find a tape that you are interested in how does it like what's what are the mechanics of going from like you got the tape you know who who owns it how does it get to the mastering engineer and, and that sort of thing well uh we got to identify the tape or we got to listen to the tape um we have to evaluate it is the music looking good and then oftentimes george will say okay zeb go do a financial analysis on it and that has become again turnkey we don't just blindly go into a project. We have to have an idea. I talked to my sales manager and I come from that world too. So forecasting, we live and die by the numbers. How many are we going to sell? Okay, Zeb, let's put together your P&L with all those. Don't anybody, please don't be offended. I use this analogy of we're building these supreme pizzas with all these toppings that go into them. And it works like that because you have a designer, you have photographs, you have mastering engineer, you have an editor. Um, you have publicity, you have mailings that have to go out, um, all the different musician payments, publishing, mechanicals that have to be done, manufacturing for the paper, for the for the vinyl. And we can then go all the way to bottom and see based on what we're selling, mm -hmm. we have an idea. Uh, and that's why we do limited editions, right? I'm not chasing the long tail. A lot of larger companies can do that. And clients that I work for do this. It's a different approach. But a lot of the stuff, most of it, which you see on Resonance, that's why it's limited edition. It's supposed to be collectible for the fans. You're supposed to be in on this special event. And um, and that's how we can like justify these numbers. We know if they can work. And sometimes they don't. It's really heartbreaking. Oh, man, I really want to make this project work. And we have to look at the mechanics of it before we go. So that's a part of it. Working on the tapes themselves, the audio, 
Philippe, I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? No, no, no. I'm just listening. So <laughs> I was just going to say, like, there's all these elements. And, you know, let's talk about the fidelity and the tapes and listening. And it's very important for us to know what we're working with. And, um, and I'm going to say something, too, that a lot of people I'm going to, boy, I'm going to go uh, rogue here. I'm going to tell people there are a lot of armchair engineers out there that <laughs> think that they have understanding all oh, every time. But did you cut the lacquer from the tape? My friends, I'm going to hate to break it to you, but especially in this universe that we live in, so much work of what we do on our archival side involves the digital realm. You have to make it sound good. When you get a live tapes, you have instances where there are dropouts, where there are musicians that walk off mic, um, all sorts of different nuances that can affect the listening. And if we just went right from that tape to the lacquer, you would have a subpar, often something that doesn't sound great. And because of the engineers we work with, it's a process. We make it we make it sound great. And that shouldn't really diminish anyone's interest. We always try to make these recordings sound as good as they do. And But it's it's something that I have to tell people, and I, and I don't mean it in a threatening way, and I want to have sensitivity, and we all kind of want to understand the process. But um, unless if you have a, a legendary studio album, which was cut and pli spliced in the studio, and you have that master reel, guess what? Hallelujah. Then you can go right analog, analog. But mm -hmm. if I find a live recording, a tape, chances are there needs to be work done to it. But that's for all of our benefit. That's mm -hmm. to make it sound good. And, um, and you know, then when you have the proprietary technology and genius of an engineer, whether that's Kevin Gray or Bernie Grunman, or I guess you could even talk about Bob Ludwig or uh, a lot of folks out there, you know, um, they bring their level of sheen to it um, and really enhance it based on their ears. So it goes through a variety of ways. But at the end of the day, we, we're, we're striving to do the best job sonically possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes those have challenges to them. They just do. Yeah. So speaking of challenges, I have just uh, a question that, that popped Um the process seems to be really good. Most of family is really helpful, uh, you know, labels and everything. Did you have instances where you had like a, something's not going to happen just be, or something that you wish it happened, but the family won't cooperate or there's no uh, legal basis for getting access to the things? Did you ever have like setbacks like this? I have. I have. And, you know, it's why I really try to, this is an emotional process when i'm involved and i want something to come out i don't want it just to come out to come out this is the kind of thing that i'm willing to fight to the death like i'm willing to I, i'm you know something i believe so but yeah like some people have the power to say no and sometimes it's all i can think of some instances where that has actually happened and also sometimes i will say it may not be a no it may be a process there may not be an estate. We have to have conversations about what we're trying to do and what we're going to accomplish and, and how we're going to go about it. And I think that transparency is the best policy. And I always like when I speak to a family representative or, or, or an artist, explain the process and what we're doing so that we're really measuring expectations and we're able to, to deliver on that. I never want to 
make any guarantees of something I'm not sure. But um, but anyways, yeah, like you know, it can be it can be challenging, and and it's happened, and and you know what though, it's okay. George will say to me, Zev, don't worry. There's always something around the corner, and he'll say that to me to kind of calm me down. But we've had projects, just as an example. And by the way, this isn't due to hey somebody said no initially. Sometimes it is a process of working with the family. People are busy. People have their own lives. Things that happen, you know, somebody, uh, you know, a, a loss of a family member. All sorts of people get sick. All sorts of life stuff happens. And you got to just, you got to play it long. You got to be patient. And I'm not always such a patient dude, but this gig has taught me that I need to cool my jets. And thankfully, there's a lot of love and other things that I can be devoting my energies to. So it's, I can keep coming back to things. But Jaco Pastorius, Truth, Liberty, and Soul. Well, I think that was a six-year journey. Wow. Um, all My Yesterdays, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis. I, opening night at the Village Vanguard, George Claben's tapes once again. That took us years to get those clearances, tracking those people down, finding them. Is that that's a uh, orchestra? So yeah. do you have to do you have to contact each family? In this case, in this case, on that project, uh, we we did, and it, it it took a really long time. I worked with the late great Jerry Dodgen and Don Sickler, who helped us find people. And now it's gotten even, <laughs> it's crazy. I have a private investigator that I work with. They call me the jazz detective. And I have detective that I work with, and his name is Sid. <laughs> Sidney works with me at Resonance. And it's not as fancy as you might think, but there are databases and things that we can do to research and find people. And I think one of the craziest things that we did, I'm trying to think which artist it was. I'm not really, this may seem a little over the top. We've got to be gentle, <laughs> got to be gentle. But I think it involved finding where an artist was buried and contacting that facility and having them contact the family members. And we were put in touch. I can't remember which project it was. And I think it all worked out. It's hard. It's hard finding people. We make our best efforts and we, First of all, lead artists, there cannot happen. But sometimes there are not musicians. Sometimes we 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 do our very best and and we're always ready to, to you know do what's necessary. But anyways, it's it's got its challenges sometimes, but it's the adventure. It's 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 so exciting what what goes into this, but being respectful when you're when you're speaking with these family members and being sensitive to how they feel about a family member of theirs. Oftentimes, someone that's deceased, it can really stir up all sorts of personal emotions and feelings. And, you know, there's one artist that I, I had a chance of doing some work with um, who had lost her sister. And we hadn't had a chance to, she hadn't even had a chance to, to settle those emotions. And it, it can stir things up. Got kid gloves. You just got to come at it from a place of love not make any promises of things that you can't deliver. And at the end of the day, you know, we're just really trying to do our best to do some good. And if nobody wants it to happen, guess what? It's not meant to be and move on. But usually it's been met with embraced with a lot of support, which is a nice thing. And I think also because we've been doing it now for a minute, 
And I think in the beginning was resonance. Who, who are you guys? Yeah. And it's gotten a little, and that's not to toot our own horn. We're, we're not the only ones that are doing this kind of work. There are other great producers out there. I don't want to hog up all the spotlight. I think it's a nice thing that you guys want to talk to me, but I'm not the only one. And uh, anyways, it's all, it's, it's an interesting journey. It really is all these different experiences that we've had. Yeah. So uh, now I think we wanted to move on to the show and tell piece of this. Okay. So- we asked you to pull some records of yes. your thing to uh, to kind of speak to them, why they're important to you. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. All right. Sounds good. I brought some things today. Um, we can start anywhere. Um, this one right here, Jackie McLean. Oh, nice. Right now. This is a Music Matters pressing. This was the album that really helped me realize how all analog chain is a really beautiful thing. And I bought this record on the wall at Amoeba 10, 12 years ago. And from the first listen, I was just blown away. You know, I think maybe with you guys too, I know for me, so much of my listening originally to these Blue Note sessions and OJCs was listening on CD hmm. and, and hearing something in that realm. But hearing it in true analog, this this record here to me like showed me how the potential can be greatly realized in a in a different way. This is something that's meant to go analog all the way, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a wonderful release. Jackie McLean was also one of my heroes. I got a chance to know this man a little bit, even though the musician even the musicians in his band. And when I moved to New York in 1995 at 21 years of age. I was like a groupie, man. I was going to see him at the Vanguard, at the Iridium. I'd go to the Painted Bride in Philadelphia. I'd see him at the Blue Note and with so many different bands. And Jackie McLean is one of my heroes and somebody that doesn't get celebrated enough. Uh, just a renegade, an unbelievable talent and spirit and, and, a, and an amazing human. He dedicated the last 40 so years of his life to being on the straight and narrow, helping other people and and with the Heart School of Music opening up and influencing a lot of incredible up-and-coming talent. And I'm just really, a, I can't say enough about Jackie McLean, one of the greats. And, you know, he, Horace Silver, Freddie Hubbard, Kenny Durham, those guys are in a, you know, in, a, in some sort of Larry Young, those guys like Blue Note, like so many of my heroes are there. But Jay Mack was just somebody that um, spoke to me profoundly. Um I want to talk about piano too. I brought this record. This is actually a beautiful cover photograph of Red Garland. This is oh, yeah. When There Are Gray Skies. And to me, this is one of the great trio records. I have really developed a, a, a an appreciation of the piano trio format, which is almost a subgenre within jazz. When you go to Japan, guys like Tommy Flanagan and Hank Jones were superstars for a reason. Red Garland is somebody that has touched me too. You know, I've been listening to him since round about midnight when I was in my teens. But when you listen to him in those blocked chords, I love Milk Buckner's blocked chords too. But Red Garland does something. And this record is just sublime. Wendell Marshall and Charlie Persip. Um, and this is, you know, the notes were from December of 62. I can't remember. I didn't realize this. Ozzy Cadena 
uh, did this session, but I love this record. I love so much Red Garland. He's one of my great, one of my favorites. And this is a wonderful picture of Don, that Don Schlitten took outside Rudy Van oh, yeah. outside the studio. And uh, anyways, that's, that's one of them. Another one of them. Um, I listen to a lot of different stuff. Here we go. Mobile Fidelity version of Santana 3. Really good. It, oh, nice. This is a very important record to me personally. Carlos Santana, who has this new documentary out on his life. I can't wait to see it. He's somebody that's been really blowing me away since I was probably 10 years old when I first saw Woodstock on PBS on TV and Soul Sacrifice changed me. But this album, Santana 3, um, those first four records, especially the ones that were really involved with Michael Sharif in production with Carlos, this record to me um, has a start to finish flow to it and energies, which are, I don't know, they, they infect me somehow. And um, several years ago, about seven years ago, I started doing really more actively 10K runs. Mm -hmm. um, and this is an album that I listen to start to finish when I'm starting a run. I'll put this oh, on right. listen to it it's in its entirety, especially the first two tracks on the album. But this is really a deep record for me. And all you need to do is listen. Listen to what Carlos is playing. And I sometimes while I'm doing that run, I feel like I'm literally leaving my body and floating. <laughs> and all I have to do is just concentrate and focus on Maestro Santana, what he's playing on guitar in these lines. But don't sleep on that record especially the first four and anything from Carlos, but Santana three desert Island. If it was ever a desert Island disc and I'm looking forward to doing a run on July 4th here in Maryland. And I'm going to be listening to that. You better believe it. It's like octane out of the gate and you got like a groove. Ooh, can't say enough about Santana three. Amazing. That's so yeah, I got a, I got a few other things here too. Um, Art Tatum on Clef. Oh, yeah. This is like, so I have a couple of boxes. You know, they've done these a few times. Um, Tatum is just a, a marvel to me. Someone who I appreciate more and more as the years gone have gone on. And those solo recordings, there's just something about them. And, and I appreciate him. I also love David Stone Martins, one of my favorite oh, yeah. illustrators of all time. And, and he's, uh, you know, graced these albums uh, with beautiful artwork. But Art Tatum inspires me, inspires George Clavin a lot at Resonance. And we have got uh, previously unissued recordings from 1953 that we are going to be putting out next year. Three oh. LPs worth that the world has never heard before. Nice. Just, just wait. And wait till you see the packaging, the presentation. The music Matt Luthens worked on it. I don't want to. I don't got to hold up back a few details. Is it a? Is it a? Is it a small group? Is it solo? Is it? These are trio recordings. Okay. Um, and uh, but but it'll be something to celebrate Tatum in a major way. That'll be for springtime of 2024. Awesome. Um, I brought some 45s with me today because I, you, we say it's show and tell, right? But a number of years ago. I inherited a very special collection into my collection. And I had this wonderful journey working with a family 
on a West Montgomery project and um, a family member uh, gifted me a collection of some 45s. And I showed you the Chet Baker before. I have the Dave Rubeck Quintet jazz interwoven autographed by all four members of the group. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, and this is a this is like one of the rarest things that I have. Um that. yeah. Is that is that colored vinyl on, on fantasy? You know what? It's a 45. And these are these are two 45 discs. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's amazing. Very cool. So, but man, they're they're all on there. Desmond, Eugene Wright, and Joe Morella all signed it with Brubeck. Oh. Uh, this gentleman went around and collected things. I but hold on, you're gonna drool some more. You might as well grab your napkins while you're at it. Um, <laughs> I got plenty here. Um, <laughs> I, I th this is another one. I I have two Lester Youngs that are signed. Oh my goodness. Oh, cool. This is autographed too. And this was sometime, I'm assuming, the 50s. There's a dollar fifty-nine okay. pencil mark on the back. I guess that's what this sold for originally. Wow. So that's this amazing. is the Lester Young Trio. And then there's another one we have here, Lester Young with the Oscar Peterson trio. They're both oh, yeah. they're both signed. Wow. Um, but these are cool, and I actually I actually play these because nice. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, and and I have one too. Here we go. This is a Charlie Parker 45. I've shared some of these online, but signed by Miles. Oh, um, oh signed by Miles. And is it's it... autographed by Max Roach on the back. And oh, Miles yeah. plays on that? Yeah. 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 This is this is a comp, right? I think this is a 12 inch. There's a comp of this one. Yeah, it, it it's with Walter Bishop Jr., Bird, Miles, Teddy Kotick, and Max. You know, that's funny Walter Bishop Jr.'s on that because when you put out Bishop at the Bank, I wasn't too familiar with them. I, I had his black jazz title. Then uh -huh. uh, in the in the uh, promotional material, it said that he was a bebopper. Yep. And I was like, I didn't know that he went back that far. So it's it's cool that he's on that record with Charlie Parker. It, you know, he was I mean, he really was deeply rooted into the tradition and and that was all echoed in his music that he was making, and man, his news records, everything. Walter Bishop Jr. is great. I that was a a labor of love, doing Bishop the Bank had to had to fight really hard on that. Um, what else do I have here? Hank Williams Jr. Ramblin' Man forty five. This is really kind of a a cool great. record that I acquired years ago. I love the artwork on so much of these projects and. But you know, this is an MGM recording. I listen to a lot of a lot of different stuff here too. Here we're gonna. I'll close out the forty fives. I have an Ellington and a Krupa one, which will leave. Oh, and my uncle Abe plays on this Les Brown band, renowned. That was very cool. Live album on Coral. Yeah, uh, Alvin A. Barron. But I want to show you something too. This is an unbelievable package. The Hawk and Flight. It's a three, three, forty five set on rca oh. and the packaging is stellar it's not autographed i don't think no but it but it's amazing and it sounds great that's so cool folks out there should check this out i'm sure there's a 12 inch version of it but the hawk in flight which is um a, a great record 
Well, there was a lot of those that came out, right, Jeff? Like that—that that was one of the main formats that people were buying records before the LPs took over, right? It, indeed, and I actually have others. Don Elliott's. I'm trying to think of uh, um, Shorty Rogers. You know, an RCA. I'm just trying to pull it out of the air. Those guys that recorded on that label, great stuff. Really terrific music. Um, okay, how many of you guys know this record? You know, I, I would hope. We should all be revisiting this one. Rip Rag and Panic, Rasan. An amazing album. Jackie Byard, Richard Davis, and Elvin Jones. 33 minutes of just exhilarating music. And, and you know, this isn't a promo copy, but I'm going to move the camera back. On, oh, my microphone too. On, on, on Limelight, they really did some very deluxe, creative, outside-the-box packaging but all you need to do is listen to this this is this is as good as it gets i'll check that out for sure and it's intense <laughs> rasan made a couple of records for this label including slightly latin i'm trying to remember what the title is i have that one downstairs too but rip rag and panic definitely desert island if i had to choose something to bring with me um here we go I have a thing also for classical piano recitals, which I've been collecting since my 20s when I worked at Polygram representing Deutsche Grammophon, Decca, and Philips. And I have a lot of them on CD, but I've been collecting a lot of them on vinyl going back. Sviatoslav Richter was one of the great Russian pianists, concert, concert pianists, and just an amazing guy, uh, a man who just was a genius, and I really love his music. He recorded also for RCA and EMI and Melodica. Is that it? Melodia? Out of Russia. But these Deutsche Grammophon records, there's just really some amazing music to hear. Um, when I listen, when I'm working, I believe they're not, this is going to surprise people, but I don't always listen to jazz, and I need to be paying attention and focusing. But piano sonatas are something... Those are actually concerts, yeah. but but the piano sonatas in particular, Beethoven, Schubert, Brahms, um, Liszt are things that like I can put on and just it just washes over me, and I'm like I love listening to it when I'm writing. There's something about it that's just amazing. Richter though is you know I love Martha Argerich and Maurizio Pellini and Benedetti. They're all these different dudes, man. Like, but the classical piano is a whole thing. Maybe one day, I'm really hoping I'd love to do something archival there mm. too. Um, also, let's talk about. We were talking about Chet Baker before. You guys all know these records. Oh yeah, you yeah. know there are about five of them that were done with this band with George Coleman, Kurt Lightsey, Herman Wright, and Roy Brooks. Um, and these were produced by a guy named Richard Carpenter, who I believe may have been Chet's manager at the time. I think there are five of these records in total. All of them are incredible to me. I love the band. What yeah. a recipe of uh, incredible flavors of these sounds of these musicians that, that come together, but they're, but they're great. And 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 I got them all. And and these records, this is really special. This is great. Chet, so, you you need to talk to some of your people in the industry and tell them they should put those out as a box set. That would sound like crazy. You know, they've been out on CD before. Uh, they put them out together. 
you know, um, if you so much, I would love to do that. Boy, oh boy. You know, you, you, not all record labels license stuff out too. And some of them are involved a very, uh, relationships that often have to happen. Majors or these companies don't always do that. But would I like to do that? Absolutely. And I want to tell you about, I'm also a blues guy too. And, um, you know, for me, that started with a love of a lot of the chess artists, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Little Walter. Um, but I have really been bitten by the bug of the great Sam Lightning Hopkins. This is actually a record that I believe has been reissued lately and it was recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's. But Lightning Hopkins to me is somewhat of an, an enigma. Um, he has his own style of singing and, 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 and the way that he accentuates certain words and when he sings, his guitar playing has a sound. There is just something to me that really pulls me in about Lightning Hopkins and his music. And um, I'm really hoping and I'll have a chance to do a project soon. But he speaks to me in a way, it's funny, you know, sometimes you have to listen to other music to come back to recognize how really great it is after maybe your ears have been primed. I listen to so much blues music. But Lightning Hopkins has been a guy that that speaks to me. I'm gonna put this one on. I bought this. I bought this at Amoeba. Yeah, there's a price tag on the. There's that yellow sticker on the back. Yeah. But um, but Lightning Hopkins, you know, it it is great. And I I brought up one other thing. I brought one other thing too. I got you know Tokyo Blues, Horace Silver. Oh yeah. You know. Horace was like a religion for me, and a language, and a music, and a style. Uh, I, you know, he had he had all these different traits in 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 his musical identity, and somebody that really inspired me. I'm lucky; I saw him twice. He actually signed a bunch of things for me because I was a young kid outside the dressing room door. I, I met him. I saw him twice at the Blue Note. I love Horace Silver, though. I think when I think back to guys like he and Jackie McLean. They were the ones that really like grabbed me by the collar and brought me in to the music and really opened me up to how enjoyable listening to this music was and, and the sounds and and everything. I just I just love. Um, anyways, I can't I can't say enough. There's there's you know, so this music touches us. What about you guys? You have your records, too. And we all have our own experiences. What are your experiences? I'm doing all the talking. Well, no, no, that that was great. So I, I, we always say that we all have different journeys. We intersect a lot. We like a lot of the same music, but we all came in in different ways. We all kind of are searching for our own path. And yeah, I think um, that's just something that we're always kind of reinforcing. Hmm. Well, now we've got this community that we've created too on YouTube. And we're a small channel, but like every friday we have you know 100 people hanging out with us chatting with us coming up on the screen and showing records and and getting excited about things and i guarantee you a lot of those records you just showed are going to be sold out on discogs after this video comes out <laughs> you and joe harley are, are like tastemakers man i'm telling you so how many records do you have in your collections Ev? do you think i i had to recently tabulate this you know i have another secret too last year I after 17 years in Los Angeles, I uprooted my life and I relocated to the Washington, D.C. area. I actually moved closer here to be closer to my mom and dad, my brother, and I have a niece nearby, too. But in the process, we had to 
box all this stuff up very carefully. And I estimate it's about 5,300 records. Nice. Okay. A lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Oh, my God. You, you have no idea what, what <laughs> going out of my mind. Can we get these in the warm? It was like in June or July when they were shipped across country. Boxes inside of boxes, talking with the guys like in L.A. at Freakbeat, I think. There were a couple of others like, what's the best way of... It all worked out. I've played a lot of these records. They survived. And I brought the rarest ones on the airplane on the last flight that I had. I had them all in a bag. Um, I actually had a few other interesting balloon note records too. The Cooker, an original of that. Clifford oh. Jordan. A bunch of different things. But Which uh, Cliff Jordan? I had the one with the with the painting on the cover. It's a balloon note release. Is that, with Is that the yellow? Person? yellow? It's yellow and white. Yeah, is that Lee Morgan and Curtis Fuller on that? Yeah, too? I think so. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great one. It, you don't see it that often. No, yeah. And that was a record that I actually got from the family of Shirley Horn. I got a few OGs. I got a Sonny's Crib as okay. well, which was great. And the Cooker. Oh, yeah. Those are like some of the rarest. Sonny's Crib is like one of my favorite Blue Notes. Got Coltrane on there and Donald Butter, yep. right? I think and, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. they do. Um, oh, I think on side two they do a standard. I can't remember it, but it's fantastic. The whole album is great. I have the I have the Music Matters forty five of it, and it sounds incredible. Oh man, don't those sound? I love the forty five ones. I like, so when I go for Music Matters, I I try to go get the forty fives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm even thinking the Gooden's Corner, the Grant Green. Oh. I think yeah. there's one of those I have, and they're double. Sometimes it's a little inconvenient having to get yeah. up to flip it as much, but it's it's not bad. It's okay. I agree. Yeah, yeah it's fun. Golden Scorn is one of the, the hardest uh, music matters to find. I think it's really really valuable now. I think it's like wow. a four hundred dollar record, easy. Four hundred dollars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's cool, and I love those King pressings too. Like with those covers, like they didn't come out in the. In the states originally a lot of that stuff only came out in japan it's amazing the lt series on blue notes another one it's been really beautiful to see what don was and blue notes been able to do you know bringing new life into those recordings i think it's remarkable um even the raja some of these like where they put new covers on them utilizing those great images and they deserve the facelift they really that's just my opinion and i think i applaud them it's been really it's wonderful and it's nice. It's just like a whole new wave of people talking about these records. Do you keep up with those like reissue series? Me pay attention to all that stuff? Not I, I see it peripherally, you know, and I definitely see when the press release goes out and I look at that stuff because it's eye candy and just oh my god. Oh yeah. 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 And and the third man group of releases coming. Yeah. I mean yeah, that's good. yeah. Good. I don't to be clear, I don't work on those. Um, sure. but I, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's an unbelievable company. Um, and it's so nice to see Blue Note getting celebrated and re-celebrated and turning new people on. I, I think it's what's needed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, third man, Jack White, have a huge, huge following amongst younger, younger people. I think it's the, 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 the best way to reach out to them and call attention. Sure. Totally agree. Yeah. Final question. I mean, final, whatever. This one thing that I sure thought. we keep going. I'm having a great time with you guys. I hope it's, I hope it's going to be um, 
dimensional and so multi-dimensional. I feel like I'm hope I'm not too monotone. No, no you're no, great. Yeah, great. Yeah, we're, we're nice. delighted. Super exciting. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. So so Zeb, uh, do you keep in touch? Let's say you and let's say sometimes you're going to release something or Joe Hart is releasing something or whoever other uh, yeah. most prestigious label. Do you guys talk to each other about what you're doing? I mean, I know there's a whole competition thing, blah, 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 but, you know, just general lines. Oh, what do you think of this title, that title? I just did this, I just did that. Is there such interchange? Oh, it's interesting. Not not as much as of late. Uh, and I'm often just because I'm in my own lane, nose to the grindstone, doing my thing with my team. But I, I've gotten very nice feedback. People like Joe Harley and others definitely have, like, it, it's, it's a nice to get feedback. When it's, when it's positive, I guess, but, it's what, but that's what it's been. I mean, I have so many esteemed colleagues that I really admire and respect and um, can always learn something from someone. So it, it's it's happened and it's it's a nice thing. I, I should probably speak with them more often, some of my colleagues, but I'm so I have to tell you, and this has been really a blessing that the days really fly by so quickly for me every day. And um you know, not always the case, but it's it, in my life. But nowadays, it's like it's at a it's at a breakneck pace sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And anyways, it just has made life very exciting. Literally, about thirty years ago, when I was starting out in the music business, I was working overnights at a gas station, mm -hmm. and with dreams of doing what I'm doing now, and not knowing. I mean, the first fifteen years of my career were working on sales and marketing. I just feel really fortunate and I really try to practice gratitude and just appreciate what I've got. And, and it also inspires me to try to keep going and going harder and, and raising the bar. So anyways, I hope that answers some of your question. Yeah, no, you've been great. Zev. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for swinging by uh getting to know us uh the door is always open if you want to come back if you have new projects you want to talk about sure. um, i hope it. we'll have follow-ups and yeah sure. thank you so much for doing this you guys are great and i i just wish you all the luck too expanding you know your 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 reach out and into the market and getting a chance for more people to connect with all this. I think it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. And, and it's so nice of you to be interested in wanting to talk with me. Let's keep in touch. I've got to have, yeah. it's going to be a good yeah. like, close out this year is going to be very exciting. We've got new projects from West Montgomery, Les McCann coming more unissued, never before out Bill Evans. Um, Ahmad Jamal. Oh, yeah. Al Jader. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a really exciting fall, and there'll be details to follow. I'm embargoed on what I can share, and okay. I'm really respectful of that, but I'd be happy to. Um, and I'm just going to say again, let's keep going. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much for your generosity today. Thanks for having me, and uh, and um, keep in touch. All right. Ooh. All right. Thank you, Zach. Take care you. now. Thank See you. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. Bye -bye.